The following content has been rated for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. There must be something in that. I showed emotion. You know what people said? See, you really can get violent and angry. Welcome to The Squawk and the Hag, a podcast about murder, mystery, the supernatural, and even a conspiracy or two. Dun, dun, dun. My name is Mo. And I'm Kraken. And this week, we have a special guest. It's Kraken. me. Oh, wait, I'm you're leaving. talking about the other special guest. Um, yes, hello? <laughs> Our beautiful and amazing, wonderful researcher, Allie is here tonight to tell us a story that I would say, is this one of your, like, I don't want to say favorite, so that's not a good word, but like one of the most <laughs> intriguing, <laughs> intriguing historical true crimes to you? Yeah, absolutely. So this particular story is one that I kind of happened upon. I picked up a book and the title of the book alone kind of drew me in. And so after that, I was like, I need to know more about this this case. So it's definitely an intriguing one, and I think one that doesn't get as much coverage as it should. So before we jump into that, do you want to tell the folks maybe more than just your name and how you got wrapped up into being our research slave? <laughs> sure. Um, I really am in a, I don't, I guess I could say prison of my own making. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> I mean, Krakow's here. It's a prison. <laughs> I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> we, we lured her in off the street with houseplants. <laughs> uh, I mean, I am a sucker for a good houseplant. I am a murderer of a good houseplant. Uh, so we balance each other out. It's great. Yeah, I just redid our bathroom recently, and I was like, we should put some, like, green in here so it looks not gray. <laughs> and I was like, I'd really like a plant, but how about we just buy a fake one? <laughs> Listen, I completely understand it. I went through a phase where I could only keep fake plants alive, so, you know, there's still hope. There's still hope, I promise. What uh, happens if you can't keep a, a fake plant alive? <laughs> there's no hope for you. I mean, it's possible it, we might get to that point. Yeah. Anywho. <laughs> so how did I end up here? I kind of started off with just really being interested in your your podcast nights that y'all were doing on stream, especially when I found out they were true crime related. I have been a weird, morbid person since I was a child. You know, I got kind of started on ghost stories and stories of the supernatural. And of course, somewhere in every good ghost story is a murder. And it's uh, true. you kind of want to usually how out. ghosts are made. Right. Like they a lot of times these ghost stories have, well, yep, that person got killed by such and such. And now their ghost haunts this forever. And so, you know, that kind of drew me into mysteries and other things like that. A true crime night to just sit on stream and chat and tell stories was very appealing to me. And it just so happened that I was on summer break and I was like, hey, if you ever need some help researching some stories, because I know it takes a while, just let me know because I'm on summer break. And then now I am part of the team for this podcast. 
it just kind of it just happened it's kind of like when i first met krakow and all of a sudden he's like living in your attic and you don't know when or where you agreed to that tell me about yeah, it that's the magical part you didn't agree to it it right. just happens it's like one day i was meeting him at a waffle house and the next day it's just part of my life and the next day some of my dinner started disappearing it's funny how nature do that <laughs> i'm pretty sure so there's the joke that Krako is 75 frogs in a trench coat i'm pretty sure they are hypnotodes i wouldn't i wouldn't doubt it he knows too much get her boys <laughs> all right so thank you so much for being on here with us tonight we like when this story came up, you were like, oh man, I love it so much. So I, I, I would love to, to be a part of it. I'd love to research it. And then we talked about having you on as guest. And we are going to have you regale us with the insane tale of Bell Gunnis. Ah, good old Bell Gunnis. Hell's Bell to some people, which was the name that first caught my attention. And I'm like, Who's that? But in order to really tell the tale of Belganus, we kind of have to start technically at the end. On the evening of April 28th, 1908, there was a farmhand, Joe Maxson, who was roused from sleep by the smell of smoke. And he quickly figured out that the house was on fire. And this house was not his house. It was owned by the woman who employed him, Belle Gunnis. She was a 48-year-old widow who owned and ran a farm in Laporte, Indiana. He'd only been working for her about two to three months, but he had earned her trust enough that he was able to sleep in the spare bedroom in the actual farmhouse rather than off-site or somewhere out in the barn. So when he realized the house was on fire, he leapt from his bed, and when he tried to leave the bedroom, unfortunately, he could not because the flames were so huge. The house was absolutely already engulfed. He could not leave. So oh my God. I know. That's crazy. Like, right, for it to be the smoke to awaken him, but really the house was already so much in flame. Now, he knew that Belle was in the house and her three children. So from the open door of his bedroom, he tried to call out to them, but he didn't get any response. And so considering he was on the second story, he knew that really his only option was to jump out of the bedroom window. So in order to save himself, he jumped out of the window and ran for help. But by the time he got back and help had arrived, the house was pretty much demolished by the fire. So looking around, they were, of course, trying to figure out what happened to Belle, what happened to her children, and they couldn't find any signs that they had made it out. So once things kind of cooled off, authorities were taking a look and they found what they thought were probably her and her children's bodies. They found the bodies of three children and a headless woman in the basement of the house. I don't think uh, fire does that, but um Yeah, I was I was gonna say, what happened to her head? That's a wonderful question. But yes, there was no head. 
Uh, like it, it wasn't that there was a head elsewhere in the same room. There was it's just, just gone. No head. There's there there was no head, or at least not with the body when they found it. They were very trying to identify the, these bodies. It was a little bit difficult, but they pretty much figured out that it was probably Belle and her three children, Myrtle, Lucy, and Philip. So they were all pronounced dead at that point. They were taking a look around and they were talking and trying to figure out what was going on with this fire. And to them, they're like, this had to be deliberate. Like this was not just some kerosene lamp fell over type fire that you would expect during this time. This seems like a very deliberate fire, and there was only one man that came to mind as a potential suspect, Ray Lamphere. He was a former farmhand that Bell had recently fired. Bum, bum, bum. Right, so they immediately, mm, Ray, had to be Ray. Well, However, and I... Oh, go ahead. There's a however. I was going to say, I can see how they would be suspicious when the body had no head. Yeah, that would definitely that, be... That right there, yeah, tells me that, nah, someone did something here. And something else I think that is kind of interesting to me, too, is, like, they found the bodies in the basement. This was the middle of the night. Oh, I didn't even think about that, because they, they would have slept upstairs. They wouldn't have had a like finished basement with a nice cozy room no but they were found in the basement which obviously there wasn't much of the house left but there was enough left that they were like hmm basement the authorities continue to investigate the fire and of course they were trying to find the head of this female body but they pretty much figured out that things were not as they seemed on this farm Bell had secrets buried everywhere, literally. Was it treasure? Like this is going. I don't it was... think it's treasure. <laughs> Not the kind we're hoping for. Not the can kind the, you're Can the treasure for. be the friends we made along the way? <laughs> and episode over. Bye! So, before we get there, though, let's figure out who is Bell Gunnis and what led us to this situation here with the fire. Because the fire starts our worldwide idea of who Belle Gunnis is, but there, she lived a whole life before we got here. She was born Brunhild, Paul, Paul's daughter Storseth in Selbun, Norway, on November 11th, 1859. Can uh, I just say that is a wicked name and it sounds like a death metal band? <laughs> I thought you were I trying to put like... a spell on me or something because I have no clue what you just said. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like I, I feel like almost everything in Norwegian is very like sounds like it could be a metal band, which is pretty great. But she was raised on a farm, so she was very used to doing farming chores from a young age. She was very comfortable being on a farm. She was described as being a formidable woman. She was about five nine which is much taller than even the average height for a woman today, in her adult life was around 200 pounds. It was also stated that Belle was very strong. She often would lift things like a piano by herself. Just, just walk around lifting up pianos? Yeah, apparently when she moved into the farmhouse that we just found out burned down, uh, she just kind of moved the piano by herself. Oh my God. 
Actually, and that is the story of how they came up with the idea for moving services. Well, I was going to say I have a fun personal story because, you know, we're all about tangents. Uh, one time mm -hmm. my brother was helping my sister move a fridge. Now, Krakow and I have talked about that I am not a very tall person. Apparently, all the height in my family went to my brother. So my brother is six foot four and he's not a little dude. He's not a lanky dude. He's he's right. pretty solid. He also I, I think it's safe to say he has some anger issues. <laughs> <laughs> but he went and he was trying to he was helping her move this fridge and he stubbed his toe and got angry so he picked up an entire refrigerator and just carried it himself wow that that moment whenever you get so angry you just take your fridge and leave <laughs> <laughs> man I've been there done that I mean, when we got a new fridge, I saw the exact same thing. I witnessed a single man lift up an entire refrigerator on one shoulder and just, you know, haul it up the steps up through the back door and into into the kitchen. Was it one of those like little college fridges, like little <laughs> the no, cube fridge? Full size fridge. Oh my god! He just picked That's the thing fine. up like, yep. Yeah, all right, here we go. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a weenie. <laughs> I I'm really proud of myself for picking up Bubba. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you got to start somewhere with weightlifting, you know? I mean, he's a good start. He is a hefty chong. But yeah, Belle, real strong, lifted a piano. So she stayed in Norway until she was 21. And at that point, her sister, who had already gone to America and had gotten married, was able to send for Belle. And so she immigrated to the United States in 1981. 18? 1881. I did. Or, think. May, I was going to say maybe it was 1933. <laughs> Everything's 1933 <laughs> with Krakow. Yes, yeah. yes, it is. Please feel free to correct me because numbers are hard. Numbers are hard. <laughs> I can only count to four. <laughs> I love that song. But yeah, because like I was like 1981. That's the year I was born. Yeah, and it's so, not. It's not that recent. Yeah. Right. Mo is older than Google. Fun fact. Mo is the same age as MTV. Oh, nice. Fair enough. Yeah. I think I was born like three or four months after MTV released. Mm. Back when they still played music. The good old days. All right. Sorry. I'm going to get back to reminiscing if I don't stop. So when she immigrated, she went to Chicago, which is where her sister and brother-in-law were living. And at that point, she Americanized her name. So this is now why she is referred to as Belle or Bella, because she decided to go ahead and Americanize her name. She got a job as a servant. So that may have also been why. I know that a lot of times when immigrants came over and got jobs as servants, it was not uncommon for them to have their name kind of changed or go by something different for various reasons. So that could have also been a contributing factor. But she worked for a very wealthy family and she loved being surrounded by like all of the finery of her employers. She really wanted to live that lifestyle. Like she really looked up to it. And to the point that like her sister later on said that she was crazy for money. Like one of Belle's greatest weaknesses was her desire for money. And so one of the things, of course, that she looked at as being a potential way to get some money is to set herself up in a good marriage. And so in 1884, she met and married another Norwegian American named Mads Albert Sorensen. And honestly, at first, everything was going really well for them. They opened a confectionery shop. Nowadays, we, we go to the candy shop. Back then, they went to the confectionery shop. Mm, it all sounds lovely. 
there's a an old-fashioned confectionery in Philadelphia that Chris and I go to when we're down there. And oh my god, they sell Earl Grey infused chocolates. Oh, that sounds amazing. They're so good. Y'all want to go down to the local confetti shop? Yeah, I hear they have abacus chairs outside. <laughs> nice. Oh, goodness. So they opened a confectionery shop. <laughs> Absolutely. And we think now here's a weird thing, because, of course, records back then weren't the greatest, but we're pretty sure they had four children just based on some of the census records. But I will get to why that's a weird number here in a minute. That being said, all of this wonderfulness that seems to have been seems to have befallen them does not last because everything kind of goes downhill pretty quickly for the family. feel like you don't end up with a headless burnt woman and stuff in a house just by pure coincidence. I would agree. I mean, these things happen. You'd be surprised. <laughs> Perfectly <laughs> just normal life and then yeah. headless and I mean... Back then, houses burnt down and headless women just appeared in the basement. It's just how it happened. Yeah, absolutely. So Y'all are first... leading really different lives than me. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're from the South. This is true. Us Northerners don't or, know. We're from an area of the country where you like you either vibe or get vibed. Like <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so speaking though of fires, that was really the very first tragedy that struck this family. Their candy shop burned down. Bell told the insurance company that a kerosene lamp exploded. However, there was no evidence for this found when they investigated. See, I feel like that's one of those things that if... Okay, let me preface. Do not commit crimes, people. Do Mm -hmm. not commit crimes. If you're going to commit a crime, the evidence and the truth need to line up. Make sure there is a kerosene lamp if you say that it was an exploding kerosene lamp, right? However, not one to be found, and in the end, though, the insurance company paid out. They're wow. like, eh, okay, whatever. Y- you're saying you're saying I shouldn't, you know, burn down my house and, and claim my nuclear power generator in, in the shed blew up. I mean, we problem, actually right? probably wouldn't be surprised if you had a nuclear power generator. So again, what I'm hearing is there's a lot of things I could get away with because it's believable. I don't know if believable is the right word. I mean, it's fitting. Maybe that. That's, be- that's a little bit better because the things you say everyone just shakes their head and they're like, oh my god, I cannot believe that. I can't believe I just heard that. But we do believe. Like I said, some things are stranger than fiction. Imagine playing two truths and a lie with me. It would, it would be very interesting. I mean, you're a grown man who owns a Peppa Pig PPO6 flip and learn phone. Yes. Yeah. And I'm gonna walk into Verizon and ask if they have like a holster for this thing. Amazing. Please video that. But speaking of burning homes, uh, that was the next thing to burn down was the Sorensen's home. Again, they got an insurance payout. Did no one say, hey guys, do you notice we're paying a lot of money to this woman because everything keeps burning down? Back then, the word investigate hadn't been invented yet. (laughs) Well, they did though. And that, like, that's the thing. The insurance companies did send people out. Now, that being said, I don't know if this was through different companies 
and therefore oh. because they there was no database to look in if you could tell that this was also a time where your ability to get an insurance policy was extremely easy like i think as we have kind of talked about i know y'all talked about with the hh holmes episode like he was literally able to take out insurance policies on fake people and make claims on them this was not a time where they're really using a lot of red tape when it comes to insurance policies so it's not really surprising that so many policies were paid out because again if you're doing different companies they're not gonna ask each other about that and you know it's not like you have the same level of detection and investigation that you do today they can do their best but at the end of the day accidents do happen and kerosene lamp fires were extremely common so a lot of times it wasn't yeah. Then I get a job as like an investigator for insurance companies. And when they send me out like for like a house that burnt down, I'm just going to look at it. Just stand at a distance and look and say, yep, that house definitely caught fire. All right, here's your check. So here's where things start to get a little darker because we've only someone turned the lights out, something like that. So remember <laughs> how I said we don't really know how many children exactly. That's because some of the records are a little weird. Obviously, not everything was kept as well as it is today, but it is believed that they had four biological children and that two of those children died in infancy. Now, both of their deaths were attributed to acute colitis, but there were definitely some suspicious circumstances surrounding their deaths. And I know that her in-laws did not necessarily trust her on this because as we could look, a lot of the symptoms of acute colitis also line up with poisoning. And it's said that she had insurance policies out on these children. Of course she did. That being said, we do know that she had two girls that survived infancy. 
Myrtle and Lucy. Everything's kind of pointing to this being biological children. There were some questions of whether any of them adopted because uh, any of them were adopted because we do know that she had a ward, her and her husband, and they adopted Jenny Olson when she was about 10 years old. So in the 1900 census, she lists two deceased children, two living children, which would be Myrtle and Lucy. They were three and one years old. And then of course, 10 year old Jenny Olson. That being said, this was not the only death to hit the Sorensen home. On July 30th, 1900, her husband died. The first doctor who examined his body thought it was probably strychnine poisoning. She poisoned two of her babies and her husband? That's what it's looking like. Absolutely. Lord. Yeah. It's And it's so interesting to me, and I think that's one of the things that really I wonder about with this case is like she went from this I mean allegedly but probably burning down her business and her home to murder and well isn't one of the the three signs of a was it psychopath or is it a serial killer but fire starting is one of them yeah but that's typically in childhood and we don't have oh. to support that this is so, all in adulthood, yeah. This I is all. To, I totally an adult. did not like playing with those little, you know, the stick, click lighter thingies as a child. No, not at all. No. Anyway. I, but, I, but did you burn things down? No. That's the difference. That is the difference. So, what ended up happening though is that his family doctor. So it was like a, the first doctor who kind of showed up was like. This looks like strychnine poisoning. But the family doctor said, well, I had been treating Mads for a while for like some strange like illnesses. So he ended up classifying it as natural causes. Not suspicious at all. Right. And of course, Mads family was like, nope, no way. That is not, that is not possible. And they were very suspicious because it just so happened the exact day that he died was the only day his old and his new life insurance policies overlapped. I'm pinching between my eyeballs and shaking my head. <laughs> right! Like, yeah. he just so happens to die the one day his old insurance policy is expiring and his new one is you know, starting up. There was only one day that they overlapped and he died on that day. Usually poisoning is like, you hear about they do it over a period of time. Or was yeah. this like a big giant dose? So I think that it had been over a period of time because the family doctor had been treating him for a while. For That's pretty, pretty accurate then to get him to die on that particular day with poison. Yeah, I think it probably was one last, like it was probably a wear him down, beacon him, get him to the point that when it is the day that I need this to happen, one good last dose will do it. That's dark. I know. And uh, yeah, just think Most that things way. that we cover here are dark. I, mean... <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Krakow. This is a true crime podcast where we talk about supernatural stuff and conspiracies. Obviously, everything we talk about is happy. So happy. Yes, sure. She definitely gained a lot from this, though. Uh, she got $8,500 
between the two insurance policies, today that is over $240,000. A big chunk of money. Of course, no inquiry happened and Belle picked up and moved her children away to a hog farm in Laporte, Indiana before anybody else could say anything. So I don't know if this is foreshadowing or not, but I do know that one of the best ways to cover up a body according to things I have read and seen and watched, is feeding them to pigs. Hmm. Hmm. That is interesting. Anywho, hog farm. So now I'm scared. (laughs) So here's the thing. Belle, she didn't stay single for long. Not long after she arrived in Laporte, she met another Norwegian-American named Peter Gunnis, and they got married on April 1st, 1902. You know, a couple of years after, you know, her other husband's death, but still pretty quickly after. Peter was a butcher, a hog farmer, and a widower with two young girls, one who was still an infant, so his wife had died really not that long ago at all. And so for the new Mrs. Gunnis, this seems like a fresh start. She had this, you know, wonderful farm, this very hardworking, dependable husband who had these two little girls. You know, she had her two little girls and they were basically supposed to start over and have a fresh start. But of course, things go very wrong very quickly. Just days after they got married, Peter's baby daughter mysteriously died while she was alone with Belle at the farm. Was Um, it poison? We don't know. That one, we just know that she died all of a sudden. Thankfully... And it was like a little bit conflicting reports, but at some point, his other daughter did go to live with family just due to the fact that that was just a little much, right? They were a little worried about her. So obviously, you know, he didn't want to think the worst of his new wife, but he was concerned. So he sent her to spend time with family. And I mean, if you think about it, that might be good for her. She lost her mother and her little sister, so being with family elsewhere might be good for her. But it didn't end there. In December of 1902, so they got married in April. In December, Peter Gunnis died in a quote-unquote tragic accident. Of course he did. Tragic accident, yes. Uh, so Belle told authorities that the auger of a meat grinder had fallen from a high shelf onto Peter's head. What is an auger? I want to say that an auger is the part of the meat grinder that has the kind of the spiral Ah, part to it, right? So that's like a very big, solid piece. Looks like a big metal corkscrew, basically. Exactly. And so supposedly... Without without the point on the end. It's just just a big metal spiral. Yeah. And it's literally meant to grind the meat, right? It processes it that way. So that's a horrible way to die. Right? Awful. And so Bill claimed that this was up on a higher shelf in the kitchen and that he was doing something and it fell from the high shelf onto his head and killed him. That being said, the coroner did not believe her story and he was convinced it had to be a murder. And frankly, the locals did not believe that he would be so clumsy. Like he was a butcher. He was a hog farmer. He was very comfortable around things that would have done way more damage to him. And yet he was in the kitchen and it just fell from a high shelf. 
that doesn't quite sound right for a lot of people. And yeah, if you're help. a butcher, you are around this stuff day in and day out. And, you know, you're going to be careful when cutting things. You're going to be careful when storing things. Exactly. So I'm, I'm surprised that at some point someone didn't just, you know, go, wow, all this bad stuff is happening to her. She must be cursed. <laughs> it's a ghost. Well, and that's the thing, though. I don't think people really knew what happened before she came to this small town in Indiana. Like, sure, the baby died and now he died, but they wouldn't have necessarily known what all happened before. Like, sure, she was a widow, but a lot of things during that time could make you a widow. I'm surprised the the house didn't burn down yet. So Ma- uh, maybe maybe another candy shop. Maybe another candy shop. The butcher's shop then burnt down. Oh, good lord. Okay, so this is horrible, but you know there would be a point in time in that fire that it would smell delicious. Oh, don't say that. No, I'm not saying anyone was inside. Oh, I'm saying... right, if there was steaks in there. Okay. Yeah, like the butcher shop. Yeah, okay. You know, get everybody out, burn the place down, and you have... I, I am a carnivore, so I love a good steak. I could take this conversation and make it way worse than what it, what it was about to be, but, you know, I won't because... You already did. I And I didn't even say anything. So. Yeah, that's exactly. a problem. Yeah. So I probably uh, but, shouldn't. Yeah, but, here, but here's the thing. It wasn't helping. Like, so already the coroner was like, mm, nah. The locals are like, mm, nah. And then Jenny, their adopted daughter, was telling friends at school, Mama killed Papa. Don't tell anyone. I, um, oh, okay. Another quote even said that she said that Mama brained Papa, as in, like, took something and hit him upside the head. What child uses the term brained? I don't know. What? I don't know. Also, does mother, that mean she... brained father with the meat auger. Let us go to the local confectionery shop. Yeah, but does that mean she witnessed it or she just knows? I don't know. At that point, she would have been about 12. So, so she might have been in the shop. Yeah, well, this was at home. Oh, I thought that happened. Oh, sorry. No, it happened in the kitchen at home. Just storing a big old meat grinder part on the shelf in the kitchen. Fair enough. Right? Like, totally normal. So here's the thing. There was a coroner's inquest. So the coroner was like, yeah, no, we're having an inquest. So he tried to bring forward his case like this just does not seem like an accident. The thing is, Belle stood her ground and they didn't end up indicting her. So she was able to move forward and was not charged and cashed in on the insurance policy she had on him. Of course she did. Which was, so 3000 at the time, that's 81000 today. Another interesting thing is they soon found out that she was pregnant. She, In fact, she had known she was pregnant, which was something really interesting because a lot of times, you know, due to the laws, women would even claim pregnancy to try and get out of being charged for things 
but she was legitimately pregnant and didn't say anything to anyone until way after. It was really interesting, but she ended up giving birth to a son and named him Philip. So we've gone through this stage. She's lost another husband. She now has a, a little boy. She's got another huge wad of cash from, you know, the insurance policy. So at this point, she works the farm alone for a while. She had some farmhands that came on and some other laborers, but for the most part, it was just her and the kids. And she would go out and she would work a lot of stuff alone. She would put on men's overalls and she would butcher her own hogs. I mean, um, I do got to give her credit from the the strong independent woman standpoint, but not on any of the other stuff. Right. Like, she definitely has that independent streak. And then they said, too, like, her strength and fortitude were often noted by a lot of people. And while people were still very suspicious of her due to her husband's death, people didn't necessarily shun her. Like, they didn't, like, oh, yeah, come over on Sunday and have dinner with us. But they, they still quite... talked to her. They still were, right. You know, I think friendly. I think, and Yeah, I think there was this general idea of, like, she's this hardworking woman who has these little children on this farm she's running things on her own so i think there was that part of it that people kind of saw and appreciated about her it's it's a very weird thing so she kind of continues on like this for a while and then after a while decides you know what i need another husband so instead well, of, you know she probably spent some of the money so money doesn't last forever unless you bury it in a box in the yard or something but yeah so you just gotta keep marrying guys and killing them you know no, that's that's Very burning down houses and shops for the insurance money. Right, yeah. exactly. So this time, though, Belle decided to use a different tactic. And so she started putting out letters into Norwegian newspapers in America looking for a, a, a husband. <laughs> you know, a good old fashioned lonely heart sad. Yeah. And I'm guessing she didn't put anywhere in there killed both ex-husbands. Did, did uh, she also have like an ad in the newspaper that was like, find out how this one woman made millions of dollars. Insurance companies hate her. <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, we have a example of one of her ads. Somebody saved one. So in 1905, she started putting ads out in the paper and her ad read personal calmly widow who owns a large farm in one of the finest districts in Laporte County, Indiana, desires to make the acquaintance of a gentleman equally well provided with view of joining fortunes. No replies by letter considered unless sender is willing to follow answer with personal visit. Triflers need not apply. That is ballsy. Like, I okay. I have to say, I do have to say, I love the triflers need not apply. <laughs> True. Uh, Fair enough. If, if I was someone who was still out in the dating scene, I would absolutely have that on my dating profile. You just <laughs> go to the club and just walk up to someone and just quote literally that ad. Right. And see if they uh, get a little squirmy or not. And then I'll know, oh, they know the story. And that's how you they, know they, to marry them. Get, and that's yeah, how it, you know. If they get squirmy, then you're just like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you know the story. I will not murder you and burn down your store. <laughs> in either in 
either order. I will not do this. I do not burn things nor murder. Yeah, but I just, the fact that it has to be someone who is equally or better fortuned. Like, that is just insane to me that you'd be like, look, people, money only apply. Right. Like, she's <sighs> very, like, she is not necessarily hiding her intentions here. Like, this is about money. The thing is, people responded. Not long after the post office employees were like, she was coming in almost daily and she would get up to eight letters at a time. What? Yup. Fair enough. So I went I went about this whole finding someone you love thing and look where it got me. Front, like, I want a rich man who gives me half of his money, no games, email now. <laughs> And that is Krakow's uh, Lonely Hearts ad. Yes. <laughs> well, no, I just like, because for me, I, I've i never understood. Like, I actually used to work with a girl who was in a very loving relationship. And she said she loved the guy so much. And she had a daughter from a previous relationship. And he cared for her and loved her. Her daughter loved him. It was fantastic. And she broke up with him because a rich dude was like, yeah, hi, I'm rich. And like, I've never understood that concept at all. I know there are people out there that are that focused on money, but it's like my fascination with true crime. It's something that is so out of the realm of my existence. I can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, well, especially given like, and I realize everyone's situation is different, right? To a certain extent, I can understand during this time period that Belle is living that a lot of times women had to look for marriages that were going to put them in better economic standing because they didn't have a lot of options to earn even a basic wage on their own. And so marriage was the way that you moved up or simply survived. But considering that, again, while today is not perfect, that that's not necessarily the case all the time, it's still interesting and kind of sad sometimes to see how that's still a mentality that people keep. Yeah, and my thing with Belle in particular is she didn't need the money. She had a farm. She had a successful business of butchering. You know, it's not like she was struggling to survive. She had, oh, I don't know, 90 life insurance policies that she has cashed in. So this is just pure greed in my eyes. Yeah, but I do I understand. Like yeah, I do understand what you're saying with like, yes, back then women, it was hard for them to be able to make a decent living and live on their own. Like you had to marry in order to survive. But mm, this is just so sketchy. <laughs> no, absolutely. And obviously these poor men, and I say poor men because some of them were really, like I read through some of who these men were and some of them were very like wonderful people who were just looking for somebody to care about, right? Like they were very oh. genuine. And so, you know, these poor men are just responding to this because in a lot of ways, when it comes to what you would look for as a Norwegian and a wife, Belle has a lot of those qualities. So you're saying Norwegians look for wives who can uh, move pianos and butcher their own hog? Necessarily, but she definitely has that sort of old world quality to her, right? Like, she's gonna cook you the home meal that is like what you got back in Norway. She's going to remind you of home. And so she's kind of, in a lot of ways, an ideal partner 
in theory for a lot of people. She's also going to throw you over her shoulder and fireman carry you upstairs. <laughs> Possibly that too. It depends. I don't know. Well, let's let's not talk about what happens after that. Moving on. <laughs> hey, I, w- I didn't bring it up. You did. It was implied. So she would spend months mailing letters back and forth with men. She would sift through, of course, trying to get rid of the triflers. The ones that need not apply? Right, the ones that need not apply, that applied anyway, and she was like, hmm, no. But she definitely took her time, and she would, like I said, she would spend months uh, sending letters to these men to try and get them to, A, open up to her so she could figure out, like, are they worth her time, but also so she could convince them to come see her. Um, she was up front in the ad. Why not just respond to the letter with, okay, how much do you make? I think in some ways she kind of did. But after a while, men started showing up to the farm. And sometimes Belle would tell people, oh, they were cousins visiting from other states. Sometimes she would be honest and she'd be like, yeah, these are men that I'm like, I'm looking for a husband and I might marry one of them. Occasionally, some of these men would be seen around town and they would be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna marry Belle. And they brought money to pay off her mortgage. I do have a very important question. Yes. Were any of them named Gaston? Not that I'm aware of. There could have been. Because while we do know the names of some, we don't need know the names of all. Okay, that was, that makes me feel better. Did, did she end up going to a castle and, and meeting someone? Possibly like a, a large hairy man? <laughs> like. I mean, you know, we'll see. Was a little beast-like? <laughs> I really liked candles and clocks. <laughs> was, was there a dresser with a baseball bat ready to beat a villager? <laughs> and Allie never comes on the podcast again. <laughs> All right. I am resigning now. I'm done. Bye. Read the rest of your story yourself. Hey, bye. Um, <laughs> no, but these men would show up and they would be like, oh, yeah, I got this money. I'm here. I'm going to marry Belle. I'm going to pay off the mortgage. Then we're going to have like this wonderful life on this farm and then they would just disappear but she kind of like it was interesting she definitely tried to like keep them away from the children keep them away from like her farm workers a lot of times if anyone asked like hey where'd they go she would say oh he had to leave in the middle of the night on some business so definitely not a suspicious way to answer that question often considering how many men were showing up, but, I mean, people were asking questions. Now, okay, so this is early 1900s. Yeah, around 1905 to 1907, I think, was the time period, yeah. And back then, a woman having men around alone at night doing Uh things was not appropriate? Right. And I think that's part of the curiosity because she was honestly sometimes like honest with people like, yeah, these are men that might, you know, I might marry, you know, if she wasn't claiming they were like a cousin. And so the implication is, of course, where are they sleeping? I think that's part or of not it. sleeping or or not sleeping. Right. And so I think that's definitely this question, because, again, it's not like Belle's reputation is the best in the city. But at the same time, it's like that's also not necessarily been part of her reputation up until this point. And so people are really starting to question that. I think a lot of people were kind of curious about 
why all these men are just disappearing especially since like it was not uncommon to see some of these men like depositing money at the bank I guess into her account like she would take them to the bank and they would deposit the money she wasn't necessarily hiding that they existed and then they would just be gone I will say the hustle was hard with this one like yeah. just to have men show up and go with you to the bank and deposit large amounts of money into your bank account. It yeah. really was the Wild West back then, wasn't it? In Indiana. I mean, <laughs> just insurance fraud, murder left and right, men just coming up and you just be like, all right, let's go to the bank. I want some of your money. Come on. I know. And it's so interesting to think that this was, what, just a little over like 110 years ago, but still things then were not as regulated as they are today. So people it got feels a lot of stuff. So, like, it feels like it's a completely I mean it is a completely other time and place but you know it feels like this is so so long ago but when you put it like that yeah it's it's a century ago okay yeah, yeah. but that's not that it's not that long yeah when like, we when we think about like comparing it to other things it's just it's fascinating to see the differences and then also to think that it's really like not that long ago either well it's also I like always when we go over these historical stories you see the the very very different things like they didn't have cars but then you see the similar things that still go through today of the way humans react the human emotion the thoughts and the the horrible things that people can do the amazing things that people can do and it still continues yeah absolutely and i think too like even if you think about like these societal expectations like yes granted we are a little better about some things today but i do feel like a woman in bell's position today would probably still be judged for this kind of stuff too mm-hmm. so especially depending on where you are right you know and if like, you're in if you're in the middle of new york city no one's probably going to care if you have men coming and going but mm-hmm. if you're in a small town down south or you know something like that because yeah, in small towns, people, everyone tends to kind of know each other. And right. people talk. Right. And this wasn't like a super small town, but it was still small enough that people knew who she was. People noticed the comings and goings. And I mean, this is the Midwest. This is Indiana. This is, you know, a part of the country that is often known for being a little more traditional in their views of certain things, especially back then. So... Absolutely, though today, you know, a woman like Belle would probably be questioned on this kind of stuff a lot. But I do feel a little bad for her on that aspect of things. Like, just let people live their lives. Right. I think that they're definitely like, and I think that's what makes the story so compelling for me because, on the one hand, she definitely had hardships. Some of them were of her own making. But she definitely, you know, it wasn't easy coming to America. It wasn't easy getting started here. Did she make a lot of terrible decisions? Absolutely. Awful, terrible thing that she does. But at the same time, she's trying to exist in a time where she has limited, you know, ability to do some of the things and get some of the things she wants without having a man there to basically get it for her. Yeah, and like if she if she didn't commit the fraud and she didn't kill people, mm-hmm. she would actually probably be an inspirational story. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, she came here alone. She worked her way into a lifestyle that she wanted. She did a lot of things on her own. She raised her children. She you know, worked the farm and say, let's just say hypothetically that her husband did die from an accident or an illness or another illness. Because back then, <laughs> back then, people did die a lot easier than they do today because of the, you know, the lack of antibiotics, the yeah. different diseases going around. They didn't filter their water. They didn't, you know, know that maybe you shouldn't put cocaine in soda. So it was a different time. <laughs> hey, but, I mean, I think we should make a special uh, limited run of that again, just just to see what happens. I yeah. can't be without that. Don't let Cracko get any. <laughs> He's no. already Once bad I get enough. my hands on it, it's over. If you remove all of the horrible things that she did, that's a, cr- like, I kind of wish that I had some of that strength. Not the piano strength, but like the, the strength of I mean, the character. piano strength would be nice. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'd like to lift a piano. That'd be great. I mean, I don't know what I'd use it for, but it wouldn't be a bad skill to have. But it, it's kind of sad that she made, like you said, such horrible decisions and did such horrible acts because I'm not I'm not defending her at all and I think what she did was unforgivable and awful and horrendous and all the other adjectives I can't think of yeah again you know it's just one of those things where it could have been way different for her but instead she is questioned a lot and one of the things some of her neighbors said that they would sometimes see her digging in her pig pen at night or men who worked on the farm would mention the stacks of trunks and personal items left around the farmhouse i mean uh, they, they were they were they were gifts they were gifts yeah i mean you if see, they're giving her money then you know it's possible <laughs> I mean, they decided they didn't want to marry her, but they felt just so bad they left her a gift. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. A gift of all of their personal belongings. So in 1906, another disappearance happened. So we had all these men coming and going. They would disappear all of a sudden, supposedly. had They had to leave for business in the middle of the night. That's and then, yeah, in 1906, uh, Belle's adopted daughter, 16-year-old Jenny, was uh, just missing. She was just gone. And folks started to ask, hey, where's Jenny? Because Jenny would work for families in the area. Like she would kind of like help as like almost like a nanny or just help around the farm. So like when she all of a sudden disappeared, they were like, hey, where is she? Is she okay? And Belle was like, oh yeah, she's fine. She went to Los Angeles to attend Lutheran College. I bet it was up in the middle of the night too. Maybe she got a degree in arson. Just like her mama. Just like her adopted mother, yes. But, I mean, a lot of people didn't necessarily believe this because Ginny actually was, at the time, seeing a young man in the area. And he had gone, actually, down to Oklahoma to work a job there so that he could earn money because he, like, they wanted to get married. So they thought it was really weird that she just upped and left. People were asking about her and Belle was like oh well you know she got married in Los Angeles and she was too busy to like write letters or come back and visit so did her mom or her adoptive mother not attend her wedding because it doesn't seem like Belle went anywhere no it just sounds like she met someone and they got married and they were out in Los Angeles so you know good for her they're just out there having a good old time so why interrupt you know you know she's gotta go live her own life yeah, I know. Sigh. 
it's like one of those things where this one it just it 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 piles up it's it's just it keeps going and i think again that's one of the things that about this case like as soon as you think how much more could there possibly be you you open up a new chapter in what this woman's life was i and feel like any single one of these things on its own would be a horrible true crime story on a podcast and yet mm -hmm. this story involves every single one of these acts absolutely and i think again is kind of an interesting thing in that i don't see her covered as much like especially when you compare her to say somebody like H.H. Holmes, which a lot of people do because they were both involved in fraud or insurance scams rather. And so H.H. Holmes, so much of what happened or what people claim happened with him was really made up by the papers. He didn't do nearly as many things as what people thought. Like he probably didn't have more than 10, 15 victims, really. But with Belganis, it's like you keep going and you keep going and unfortunately we're able to back up some of this stuff and it was real and it happened and you're like that's that's not to say it's a competition but no offense it's way worse well it's like Jack the Ripper and mm -hmm. I'm not not reducing anything horrible that happened no, with Jack the Ripper but he had five victims and that is one of the best known, commonplace, top of mind serial killers. And then you look at a few episodes back, we talked about uh, Pachushkin, the chessboard killer, mm -hmm. who had over 60. And yep. he is one of the lesser known serial killers. And it's just, it's crazy how certain people latch onto certain stories. So obviously Dahmer is at the forefront right now with the new Netflix series and yeah. the different people that they make these big, that get into the, the mainstream podcasts or they get into some sort of syndicated series or anything like that. And then you, you realize that there are monsters in history whether it be recent history or something like this back in the 1900s that are way worse and way scarier and they somehow fly under the radar and it ugh. right because like the idea of a serial killer may have been born out of the 70s but they existed way before that it's so interesting and i think another thing about her too is just like she was a woman which you don't hear of often especially a woman during this time where you're still very much coming out of like that victorian idealistic view of women that you hold them on a pedestal and they should be perfect mothers and wives and you have this woman who maybe isn't perfect but she's still doing her best and then to find out oh that's not what was happening at all. Yeah, so. and it is, like you said, very, very rare. There have only been a handful of women serial killers, which I think is a, it's super interesting that there's something, and they, from my, to my knowledge, they don't know why it is, but the percentage of women to men who turn into serial killers is massively skewed. And it's just, I think when you hear about one, like Belle, that just is like, holy moly, 
Right. And I think for some people, they try to equate it to a lot of male serial killers have some sort of, like, sexual component to their murders. Whereas that is less the case with female serial killers. Like, in this case, the motivation is absolutely money. But then you also have cases like, uh, I know that there's one about the nurse who would kill her patients because she enjoyed it. I don't want to say interesting because I don't want it to sound like, oh, these people have valid thoughts and feelings on, you know, getting to murder people. But it is interesting to know that there are so many people out there who have these different motivations and yet we only kind of know about some of them and you always wonder who else was out there. They're interesting in the way that Krakow is interesting, like in a scientific, like experiment sort of way. Or like a train wreck, you can't look away, but exactly. you know it's awful. <laughs> like, wow, that's so awful, I can't look away. Exactly. And, well, it also so. makes me think of like the, I know her first name is Eileen, I can't remember her last name, but the woman that Warnos? monster was. Yes, yes. Yeah. It seems like when you have the male serial killers, there's a lot of different trends. It's head injuries, sexual abuse, physical abuse, bullying, mental illness. But when you have the women serial killers, you'll see someone like Belle Gunnis, who it's purely about money. Um, Eileen Warnos, where it's a lot of trauma that led her to it. Um, but it's it's such a different thing. And these crimes, each one is like you don't have those overlapping sort of threads like you do with the male serial killers, where there's a sexual component, there's a a mental component there you know something like that and it's just so bizarre how how did this happen how did we get here what what is going on yeah like at what point her bell did she look at this and say okay i can't keep burning things down now i'm going to murder my children and my husband and my other husband and, and my, my other husband, other and, husband. His, and his daughter and like where where does it like where does that switch flip for someone like yes it's obviously about money to get the insurance policies but what makes you say you know what my family they're, they're dispensable i can just replace them mm -hmm. it's fine yeah absolutely it's it's a different way of thinking so i just i i'm okay with not understanding it true because if you did we probably couldn't talk to you anymore because you're a psychopathic serial killer no me. Don't like how she said that. <laughs> so if Tommy disappears at any point in time, we might want to call someone, no, Krakow. No, see, you you misunderstand. It is Tom is the one that you need to be afraid of. Oh my god, what if they're a pair like Bonnie and Clyde? Oh my god, you're right. I am supposedly related to a cousin of Bonnie Parker. This answers so much. I'm just uh, bringing my pet pig phone with 911 on speed dial and not going to the Waffle House <laughs> anymore. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. Come to the just Waffle House, Echo. Just in case there's a little something extra in the syrup for my waffles. Like, I'm good. <laughs> no offense, because I love Waffle House. Like, I, I absolutely love Waffle House. There's something about those giant waffles, but I'm pretty sure all of them have something in the syrup. <laughs> I mean, have you seen, like, the people that work there? Like, no offense if you work at Waffle House, but, like, as Listen. they say, like, Denny's is Waffle House for people that can't fight. Listen, 
those people have seen some stuff, and I get it. Waffle House is a whole other world. But they make damn good waffles. I love me some Waffle House. Bro, the peanut butter waffle be hitting different. And that and that cinnamon raisin toast. Oof. I, I'm just now picturing like Tommy's ears perking up. And yeah, I'm just gonna force. Yeah, I'm just gonna we're just gonna hear all of a sudden. Did you Watch say Waffle House? Summon Tom. I, I can right. summon Tom. Hash browns. <laughs> did, did, did someone say Waffle House? Uh, I, I, could, I, could, I could get some hash browns. <laughs> I missed part of the incantation. Hash browns, smothered, covered, and scattered. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't combusted through the door yet. Was so. that my front door? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think he listens to the podcast. But if he does, we're all dead. <laughs> I mean, we already uh, all probably were anyway. But you know, you know, it's it's fine. It's fine. You know, he's gonna hear about this afterwards, right? He will. But I will say, he doesn't listen to the podcast, true crime, spooky things. They're just they're not for him. But that's okay. We love him anyway. This is where we will end for this episode, but come back next week for the conclusion of the tale of Bell Gunnis. As always, make sure to check out our website for all of the show notes, sources, and more information at thesquonkandthehag.com. And we would also love and appreciate your support by either leaving a review on iTunes or through small monthly donations using the viewer support link in the description. And if you don't subscribe, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast network to get notified of new episodes every Thursday. All right, Krakow, you ready? Okay, bye.